listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Welcome. My name's Ryan. I'm the AM service pastor here. Um, It's great to have you with us. Sermon series, um, as... uh, as was said in announcements there, around um, the Semitic king. The Semitic king. This is our Lent sermon series, so we're, uh, we're towards the back end of Lent. Today's actually Palm Sunday, the, uh, that point of triumphant entry when, Je- when Jesus moved closer towards the cross. Um, yeah. And we're reading today. We're actually, uh, we've been doing these reading books as a church together, and many of you have been reading along with us. I think I, I'm doing... Uh, from Monday's reading, so from uh, Philippians. Turn to page, if you've got your Bibles, the Maroon Bibles, page 819 in those Bibles. Um, grab your notepad, grab your pen. We're going to be reading from uh, Philippians 3, verses 4b. And I've actually got it on the screen as well if you can't reach your Bible. <clears throat> So Philippians 3, verse 4b. If someone else thinks of reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a religiousness of my own that comes from the law, but the which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Those of you who have been around the, the Bible a bit will know this is a, a letter from Paul um, to, to one of the many churches that he, um, had, uh, he spoke into. Um, this is uh, the early, one of the early Christian churches. Um, Paul's writing this from Rome. He's under house arrest. And when you, actually, when you actually look into um, the purpose of this letter, this letter to the, the church, in, uh, the Philippine church, um, there's a few purposes, purposes that Paul writes this letter, but the, this particular verse, this, this uh, particular passage, sorry, chapter 3, um, when you read the purpose of this chapter, it's to exhort them towards this humility, it's to exhort them, to encourage them to step into humility, and into unity, humility and unity. I thought that's a great place to start, so I'm actually going to start by just praying that over us, that we receive this with humble hearts and as a body, as a body of 
church in unity with Christ. So Lord, as your word goes out this morning, I just pray that you um, have us in that heart posture of uh, bent knee and openness, Lord, that we're submitted in this sermon series of the Submitted King. We just ask that you will help us emulate that, that we'll be a submitted people. I pray that over all of these people, I pray that over us as your church, that we'll be submitted to your way. We pray for a greater level, Lord, in this church of just submission, of humility, and of unity so that we can receive the good gifts that you've got for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what's Paul going on about? What is Paul going on about? Um, as we unpack this this morning, I think it's important that we start in this place of um, what, is, what is Paul laying out? What is the, the, the core thing, that, um, this core biblical principle? And I think there's a core biblical principle in here that, that um, Paul is just laying out. He's laying out that you have a choice. You have a choice between, there's, there's, there's two ways you can live your life. You have a choice between, you have a choice where you put your confidence. You have a choice where you put your trust. You have a choice where you put your security. You have a choice where you put your confidence. You have this choice between two, two ways to live your life. And all humans have this choice. And Paul's just pointing out this simple truth. That you have this choice between these two statements. Number one, you can choose to be the Lord of your own life. Or you can choose to surrender and say, my life is for you, Lord. These are the two camps. All humans have this. Um, this is just a core biblical truth. You either follow the way of God or you follow the way of the world. You either follow the spirit or you follow the flesh. You have this choice of which way you're going to orientate yourself, which way you're going to live your life. Um, you either trust in your, in your flesh or you trust in him. So Paul lays this out in this passage um, and then Paul points out that he's chosen the latter. He's chosen to submit his life um, to the Lord. Now, if you've been around Red for a while, if you've just been around church for a while, this is just 101 stuff. You're probably thinking, yeah, I know this. I know this concept. Um, so I'm actually not going to go after this concept too much this morning. I'm not going to try and unpack, um, is this truth? We're just going to take this as a given. But I'm going to ask you the, the question behind this that, that sprung up in my heart as I, um, as I was going through this passage this week. I just want to ask why. I want to ask the question behind this about Paul. What's Paul's story? Why is Paul doing this? And then as we unpack that, as we unpack this story that I think is in these words, I want to just ask God to reveal similarities between this walk of Paul's and this walk of ours. So the first question is this. The first question that God really spoke to me about was, where was Paul's strengths? How was Paul living and where were his confidences? Where were Paul's strengths? So there's three main things that jump out in this scripture. The first one is Paul has this huge confidence in his pedigree. Yeah? 
Paul, um, he says in there, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What Paul is saying is, my lineage, my parents, they were the people of God. And I, I, they ticked every box. I was circumcised on the eighth day. From the moment of my, my pedigree is of God, of the way of God. That's the first thing he had confidence on in his pedigree. And how much do we do that as, as humans? How much do, is just our history, our lineage, our parentage, our, our home story, our birth story, our, where, we, where we've come from? How much is that part of our confidence? We, it's safe. It's what we can trust. It's what we know. And some of that's good and some of that's bad, but it's all there, our, pre, our pedigree. The second thing that Paul um, demonstrates that he used to have confidence in is his privileges, the things he had. He describes himself as, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, Paul came from a, a point in society where he was, he was well regarded. He, ha, he would have had stuff. He would have been an important person. He'd, uh, he'd, he would have accumulated. And he said, I used to have, you know, I used to live like this. I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. And the third thing that Paul um, had confidences, had his confidence in previously, were his performances. He, was, he had confidence in, he says that I was, I was righteous when it came to the law. I was faultless when it came to the law. I had confidence in these three things. So Paul starts when he's exhorting the church, when he's encouraged them, he's saying, hey, this is how I used to be. I used to have confidence in my pedigree. I used to have confidence in my privileges. And I used to have confidence in my performances, the things that I used to do. It's pretty confronting for me as I, I uh, looked at this because I think I'm, like a, like a lot of people, I think I have often defined myself by these three things. I've defined myself by the places I've been, the things I've got, and the things I've done. Maybe you share some of that similarities. I want to point out, before we move on from here, I had a bit of a thing with peas as we went through this. <laughs> also, uh, there was no uh, quality control on the slides you're about to see. Okay. <laughs> so what happened? What happened to Paul, right? He, uh, he used to be living like this. He used to be living out of his pedigree, out of his privileges, out of his performances. And then something happened. Paul ceased to live this way. He said, I now count these things loss. I've abandoned them. I've cast, I'm, I'm, I'm not defined by those things anymore. So, ready for the bad PowerPoints. First of all, Paul says, this is the concept Paul's going after. He has his identity. And in the small print there, you've got the pedigree, the privileges, the performances. At one point, I actually had a P word in there instead of identity, but I thought it was too much. Um, so Paul had his identity, yeah? And it was, it's based on pedigrees, privileges, performances. What Paul then has, out of the back of that identity, out of, the, out of who you are, you then do things. You then, because of what you've done, because of who you are, 
you then it leads you into doing things today, which are your practices. And then what happens is as you, as you live these things out, people have a perception of you. So your identity informs your practices, the way you live, and then your practices interface with society. So people um, have a perception of you based on your practices. People can't actually see into your identity. I can, I can look at the things you do, but I can't look at the person you are. We interact with the world through our practices. So there's these perceptions of us that are, are formed from our practices, but our practices are formed by our identity. So this is the, the, the model that Paul points out. He says that, um, he says that I've, this is how I used to live, but then he says I've ceased. This has stopped being my mode of operation. I'm not living like this anymore. I have stopped. So I wanted to ask, why? Isn't this just normal? Isn't this just, uh, isn't this just the human condition? Isn't this just uh, how, we, how we live? Our identity informs our practices. Our practices inform how people see us, and, and that's just the way it is. In his book, um, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard says this. How we live in the world now and in the future is almost totally a result of what we have become in the depths of our being, in our spirit, will or heart. That is where we understand our world and interpret reality. From there we make our choices, we act and we react. We try to change the world. We live from our depths and we understand little of what is in there. If this is just the way we live, but we're not examining it and we're not holding that before God, we're in trouble. What Dallas Willard is saying here is we need to understand what's in the depths of our identity as we walk out our faith, as we walk out as Christians. I started with this this picture of this identity informing practices, informing perceptions, and and I got back to this, but isn't this just the way? Isn't this just the way of the world? And I want to come back again to that core biblical truth that Paul lays out. That either you say, I am the Lord of my life and I'm going to hold my own identity, or you say, Lord, my life is for you and I'm going to take on your identity. So what Paul implores us to do and what Paul, Paul's words say there is he actually counts this stuff as loss. He actually chooses to view this as loss. Why? In order that he may gain Christ and be found in Christ. In order that he may gain Christ and be found in him. So as we drill into this a little bit deeper and as we think about Paul's abandonment of his privileges, of his pedigree, of his, um, pra- of his performances. I just want to ask, how do you view your things? Do you see these things, your history, your stuff, your abilities, the things you've done, do you count them as lost? Do you see them as rubbish compared to Christ's? 
compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. See, a lot of us have, uh, have done some very, very good stuff, and a lot of us have done some very, very bad stuff, and we hold these things in our history, and all of that, both the good and the bad, we need to count as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. How do you view your history, your stuff, your abilities, the things you've done? See, the risk is, coming back to my really bad PowerPoint, the risk is if we live out this, this, this mode of operation where our identity informs our practices and then that informs, our, how, that informs the perceptions that people see of us, the risk is that we step into what I've called the echo chamber of human formation. See, what happens is our identity informs our practices, our practices inform our perceptions, but then the way you see me starts to inform, oh, the way I should act, and then the things I'm doing, the things that I start doing, I convince myself that I am. And there's this just cyclical echo chamber of human formation. And this is dangerous. Paul is actually writing this letter to what scholars call the circumcision party. I find that um, funny in itself. Um, so what Paul is saying, there's, there's this, uh, the time Paul is writing this letter to, to the church, there's this group of, of, of Jews that are, uh, are saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, what's being said. But you've also got to do this. You've also got to get circumcised. It's really important that you also step into this and take this on as well. And there's this false teaching that's going on that, that you can't just receive from You also need to. You also need to. And the danger was the early church was starting to be formed by these voices, these people that were snipering from the peripheral, these perceptions that were outside of the early church where they're coming in and saying, yeah, yeah, you should, yeah that's right, but the perceptions of the outside world were starting to form the early church. And what Paul was doing was writing to say, hey, don't buy it. Don't buy this lie. Don't do that. Don't be formed by their perceptions. Be formed by something else. I had a, um, a friend, this was quite a few months ago, um, one evening, I, I'm, I'm with a mate. He's not a Christian, um, and we, we're chatting away. Um, and he, he starts unpacking a, a certain situation that's happening with another group of friends. I don't know them, but there's another group of friends. And this guy, um, he, he can be a little bit brash. He can be a little bit harsh with his words. And as we're unpacking, he's saying, oh, I feel really you know, excluded from this group. And um, they don't like how I've reacted to this certain situation. They don't like it. But that's just who I am. And either they've got to accept it, or maybe I shouldn't hang around with them anymore. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. What would it look like for you to change? It was really intriguing what happened in this, in this conversation, because I think what he was expecting was for me to go, yeah, you're you. Yeah, you're you. You don't need to change for anyone. Just keep being you, and they've got to put up with it. And the perception would reinforce 
the practice, which would reinforce his own identity, which was one in this certain situation in his life, it was actually brokenness. And instead of that, I tried to point him to a different way, an outside perception, a changed truth, a, a truth of change. So what's the antidote? What's, how do we get out of being in this... Um, being in this uh, self-reinforcing, this echo chamber of human formation? How do we step outside of that and actually follow something different? Well, what, Paul, what we've seen Paul do and what Paul says is he's stopped living like that. And I've just, I think there's, a, there's something profound in Paul's words where there's almost an about turn. There's a change of direction. There's a change of direction. And the reason there's a change of direction is because, and if you've been, again, if you've been around the Bible a bit, you'll know this, Paul's road to Damascus moment where he sees Jesus and that changes his life. It changes his life. Paul, his eyes now in his life are fixed on this living king, this Jesus, this, whole, this, this father, son, spirit. And once, his, once your eyes become fixed on Jesus... You cannot have your eyes fixed on something else. If we walk focused on Jesus, we walk in a different direction to our natural inclination. I was at a talk a couple of weeks ago and the guy had this analogy that just beautifully summed this up. He said, it's like, it's like you're driving a car and it's good to glance in the rearview mirror every now and again. It's good to look at where you've been. It's good, it's safe to check the rearview mirror. But if we focus on that, and if we're just looking at the rearview mirror, you're destined to hit something. You're going to have an accident. And I think so much uh, in the human condition is that we focus, we're focused on not where we're going, but we can be focused on where we've come from. We can be focused on the, the pedigree that we've been born, been born into, the privileges we've received, and the things that we've done formally. And we can convince ourselves that that is me. That is the sum of my parts. But actually, if we actually take our eyes off the rear vision mirror and look through the windshield, then we will see where we're going. But to do that, you've got to focus on the king. As your identity is shaped, the direction that you fix your eyes is critical. Ron in his book, Dallas Willard says this, the greatest need that you and I have the greatest need of humanity in general is a renovation of our heart. That spiritual place from within us from which outlook, choices, actions come has been formed by a world denying God. It must be transformed. Indeed, the only hope for humanity lies in the fact that just as our spirit has been formed, so also it can be transformed. See, God's aim is to mould your life into a more beautiful work than you can imagine. If you're just looking at those things that have been in your past, you're going to miss out on the thing that God wants to take you to. So this is what we have to do. We actually, the first step in this process is we've got to choose to replace man's perceptions 
with God's perceptions. And as we choose to let God's perceptions shape our practices, God's perceptions will also shape our identity. That's the first step. The second step is we've got to choose not to believe the lie that we're formed by our pedigree, our privileges, and our performances. We've just got to delete that. They're still there. They still exist. They're just not the, the things that to be identified as. And that allows space for us to take on the identity of Christ. So these are the, uh, these are the three things. If you're a note taker, these are three things, three core things that you should take away today. Number one, we're going to choose to be formed by God's perceptions, not man's. We've got to choose to be formed by God's perceptions so that that can shape our identity. And number two, we've got to choose to put down our past. We've got to choose to count that in our hearts as loss, to count that as rubbish, the good and the bad. We've got to choose to lay that down for God. And what that will do is allow the identity of Christ to come in. So what stops us from doing that? I've run out of peas at this point, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> what stops us? Why, don't we, why isn't this easy? Why don't we just uh, waltz into this? I think I, I see, as I've looked at my own life, and um, as I've looked at uh, the biblical story of uh, the greats that have been, you know, that God has worked in over in the history of humanity, I see some, some similar patterns that fall out. The first one is not that. I haven't got these on a slide. Um, the first one is this, fear. It's actually the scariest thing I reckon you can do as a human to choose to give control to God. It's like we're, we're so focused on the steering wheel of our own life. There's a lot of car analogies today. Is that we're so focused on the steering wheel of our own life to actually acknowledge we're just in the passenger seat and Jesus is driving is a scary thing. To give control of our life to God is scary. Loss of control is scary. We, we're not in control of where we're going. The second reason, the second thing I think stops us is it can actually be painful. To actually choose to not be identified by that stuff in the past can be painful. To, you actually, it might, you might have to look at it in a healthy way, in a rear view measure, uh, mirror way as we look to Christ and we have to put that down. And that takes, that can be painful. There's hurts in the past. And a third way, which I think is particularly relevant for me, um, is we can, actually, we can actually fall for the lie that we're better by being identified by this stuff rather than God's stuff. We can fall for this lie that um, it's better if I don't give this up to take on Christ's identity. The irony is the things that we grapple to hold on to in our identity are often the, thing, the very things that are tearing us apart. 
We need to stop having confidence in ourselves. That's what Paul's saying. We need to stop having confidence in ourselves, the positive and the neg- negative. We need to stop having confidence in our own definition of ourselves. And the facts that Paul lays out in this, the facts are that when we do that, we get to experience the power of his resurrection. We get to experience the power of his resurrection. When we choose to be identified by, as Christ, and when we choose to walk towards that thing, we get to experience in our day, in our daily walk, we get to experience his power. Who wouldn't want to experience the power of the risen king in their lives? And the second thing is, we get to experience with this power, this unity, this peace, we get to share in his sufferings. The things that God's heart hurts for will start to hurt your heart. We get this beautiful unity. It's actually a transaction of unity that God is calling us into here. He's saying, give up this and become unified with the king, with God. And a beautiful thing happens as we do this see this in your you'll know people that have done this you'll see uh, you'll see this around you in your own life when God's perceptions shape you when your practices are shaped by God's perceptions when your identity is shaped by God's perceptions when your identity is shaped by the person of Christ people from the outside look at your practices they can't see your identity but they'll look at your practices and they'll go I'm seeing Christ they might not be able to call it out But that will happen. This is the glory of God going out into the world. I've got one last story I want to leave you with. I I was at a work thing, a cultural awareness training. I worked for a big big builder. And um, we we had to have this cultural awareness training um, session. Um, We obviously do do a lot of uh, work work in remote places. And we... um, we interface quite a bit with, um, with um, Aboriginal people. Um, and this, this, uh, this lady I know who, who manages this uh, um, inclusion section of the business had arranged for this speaker to come in and give us this cultural awareness training. So this speaker came in, um, and he's an Aboriginal guy. He was from, uh, from uh, Brisbane, um, Uncle Billy, that was his name. Um, and he just told this story of his life that was, I imagine, so similar to so many Aboriginals um, alive today. He told this story of a lost identity. He told this story of how, um, how he moved from where his ancestors had been because of exclusion from schools and his parents wanted to try and um, give him a better life and they had to walk away from their identity. They had to walk away from what they knew about themselves. And as a kid, he then, um, he then struggled because he'd lost this identity. He'd lost um, this knowledge of who he was and he grappled with that. He started to actually be defined by the world's perceptions um, 
of Aboriginals and because of how much that culture had been decimated, a lot of those perceptions aren't that good. So he started to take on, he started to embody um, these practices and his life, as he says it, was kind of spinning down a tube. And then he had a moment where he decided he needed to reinvestigate who he was and he started journeying and he spent 20 or 30 years rediscovering who he was. And as he, he, he was a pretty inspirational speaker, he spoke for about um, two and a half hours and with nothing but a pen and a whiteboard. And I, he had the room in the palm of his hand. You could feel there was, you know, 40 hairy, um, ugly builders in a room and he, just, he was just dominating. And I was like, oh, I wonder if he, I wonder if he knows. I wonder if he, like, I couldn't help but think, like, he's rediscovering who he was. He's rediscovering the fullness of how God has made him as an Aboriginal man. I wonder if he knows. And I could, I was, as I was making notes, as he was actually a lot of these slides today are really a rip-off of some things that he wrote up there. And there's just biblical truth in this. And I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder if he knows this. Didn't get the chance, didn't, didn't um, in, this, in the kind of breakaway sessions, didn't get the chance to, to speak to him one-on-one. And then the session ended and, and we all went out. Anyway, it gets to, um, it was on a Friday, it's kind of in the early afternoon, Friday, Friday uh, evening, they, um, they have drinks at the, in the office, and there's people there for Friday drinks, and then I'm speaking to the, the lady that's organised this, I've known her for a little while now, a few months, um, and I know her in a professional sense, but we, and we, we haven't really had much deeper meaningful chat, and of course, over, over the drinks, over a glass of wine, she starts saying, so what do you think of today? I said, oh, it was awesome. It's this concept of, and I wanted to say, he was talking about the gospel. He was talking about, like, I said, uh, and she said, what do you, so what do you think about that stuff? What do you think about that identity stuff and, and how you're defined? And I said, oh, listen, um, what you don't know about me is I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm actually a part-time pastor. And she went, <laughs> uh, this was her reaction. Held up, that was her wine. And I thought, oh, man, is this really, like, have I not done a good job here? Like, I've known you a few months. You can't be that shocked. Like, like. And she said, no way. I was like, yeah. She went, do you know Billy's a pastor too, Uncle Billy? I was like, oh. and this just the penny drop. I was like, of course, of course. This rediscovering of who we are made in Christ is just a biblical concept. God is in the business of restoring, of making new. God is in the business of making right. God is in this business of healing us. So, how do we do it? What had Billy been doing? What has Paul done? What am I imploring us to do as a church? Well, the first thing and again, these are the three action points. I always like to give an action point. If you're a note taker, these are the three things I just encourage you to do this week. Number one is just focus on God's perception of your life. Focus on the heart of God over your life. As you healthily examine where you've been, not defined by it, focus on where God is taking you. The second thing 
is posture your heart to hold your identity before God. That giving God control, instead of holding it like this, who we are, holding it like that and allowing God to examine it. That posture of your heart as you hold your identity before God. Great to do this in quiet time. And the third thing is repent and receive as led by the Spirit. I think often we can see this thing as repentance as, oh, I'm just going to beat myself up. I've got, to, I've got to feel bad about my life. But actually repentance is something that the Spirit leads us into. And when the Spirit does it, it's because he wants to free us. It's because he wants to take those things that we've been defined by and say, no more, I'm now going to come in and you're going to be defined by something else. So they're the three things. Focus on God's perception over your life. Posture your heart and hold your identity before God and repent and receive as led by the Spirit. I just want to point out now, this looks a bit ludicrous. This is a strange thing to do. This is a countercultural thing to do. This will appear strange to outsiders. When Paul was on this, uh, going, had gone through this transformation, there, would be, there were people in his past that would have said, what are you doing? You're giving up this to take on that? This is a, a, a strange thing for us to do. But I also want to point out, and I think this is powerfully demonstrated in what today is Palm Sunday. You've got this king who comes into Jerusalem. People are acknowledging him as the king by ripping palms down and placing them on the road, saying, this is the, this is the king, this is the Messiah who's coming to save us. And as that happens, I just imagine what the Roman, Romans in the background looking over on their you know, beautiful steeds would have been thinking. That bloke's on a donkey. Like, that, looks, that looks crazy. The, the procession of the king, it wasn't the best warriors, it wasn't the fighters, it wasn't the strapping with the, with the armour. It was the broken, the lost. The procession was the outcasts, the people with him. And this Messiah that people were cheering for, they'd later be booing as he crucif- was crucified. This looks crazy. This looks a little bit ludicrous. To do this with your life can look foolish to the world. But this is the way our God asks us to. This is just truth. Our God says, follow me. Step into this. So the band's going to come up now. And I'm just going to pray over us for these three things. Father, we thank you for the, um, the reminder. We thank you for the reminder of Palm Sunday. Of this posture of submission that you took as you walked towards the cross, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the example you've set. We thank you for greats in the Bible like Paul. have lived this out before us, who have walked this out before us. And I ask, Lord, that you give us confidence that we may focus on you as our God.
that we may choose to be defined by you and your will for our lives. And as we um, take communion as a church now, I just ask your Holy Spirit, come. Come in this place. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, minister to us. Speak to that inner place. Have your way, Lord, in our hearts. In Jesus' name.